ties that bind series. We've been spending a lot of time in a chapter of the Bible inspired by the Holy Spirit given to Paul to this particular community in Ephesus that had a lot of reasons to be divided, a lot of reasons to, to not get along, to not be a healthy community. And Paul shares with them the more powerful reasons uh, that they can and the things that connect them, the ties that bind them together are much stronger than their differences. And uh, I came across something this week that reminded me of this series, and I'll just, I'll just read this to you. It's, it comes from a TED Talk, TEDx Talk, by John Sutherland. He's an officer in, in London's police force, and he explains a principle in forensic science called Locard's Exchange Principle. A lot of you guys probably watch CSI shows and things like that. It's kind of about that, Locard's Exchange Principle. And it was developed by Dr. Edmund Locard, who is the, the French Sherlock Holmes. That's how he's known. And the principle uh, has this very simple premise that every, every contact leaves a trace. Every contact leaves a trace. In other words, Every criminal will leave some trace or traces behind them. One forensic expert put it this way. Wherever he steps, whatever he touches, whatever he leaves, even unconsciously, will serve as a silent witness against him. Not only his fingerprints or his footprints, but his hair, the fibers from his clothes, the glass that he breaks, the paint he scratches, the blood that he deposits or collects. This is evidence that does not forget. And then Sutherland explains how this principle can be taken from the world of, of criminal investigation and can actually be applied to just our normal human interactions, our relationships. He says, every time that two people come into contact with one another, an exchange takes place. Whether between lifelong friends or passing strangers, we encourage, we ignore, we hold out a hand or we withdraw it. We walk towards or we walk away. We bless or we curse. And every single contact leaves a trace the way that we treat and regard one another matters. It really matters, he says. Let's pray as we enter into our time of study. Holy Father, every interaction matters. It really matters. The traces, the words of encouragement, the prayers for one another, the kind touch, the asking about another person's well-being or the well-being of a family member. We're leaving behind traces. And Father, we remember as we gather and sing praises of worship, we gather because of the traces Jesus left behind, how He's touched us and changed us forever, and how He's given us through His touch the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God to guide us and to lead us, to encourage us, and to bind us together in Christ. And we are thankful for that. And we pray, Father, that we will be wise stewards of the traces we leave. That we will build a legacy of edification, encouragement, comfort, 
and sometimes challenging others to lead them more and more into the image of Jesus, into the fingerprint of Jesus. We pray this in His name. Amen. Well, as we go into Ephesians 4, so tonight is, is the last night in this, in this study. Um, we're, at, we're getting to the very final words of Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, a passage about unity. And obviously we see from the emphasis he gives to unity and to community, it's, it's something that's very much on his heart and something that he believes is very relevant to this church in Ephesus. Um, I shared this a while back. I'll share it again. I think it, it really bears, um, in fact, because the word comes from Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, we have a word that doesn't get used a lot in, in English except normally in, in biology class or articles about biology. It's that word symbiosis. And I think I've shared that word before when it comes to Ephesians 4 because it actually appears in Ephesians 4. And this is the part where you get to laugh at how bad my Greek is, okay? Because it's a really long word, okay? Sumbibazomenon. To you, that sounds probably great. To someone who speaks Greek, it probably sounds terrible. Sumbibazomenon. And it is the word from which we get symbiosis. It's used in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16. And so Paul, he looks at the, the bride of Christ and he sees this. And the, the Webster definition of symbiosis is this. The relationship betwe between two kinds of living things that live together and depend on each other. Isn't that a good definition of church? I mean, we are different kinds of people, different personalities, different outlooks, uh, different ages, all, all, all kinds of differences. But we live in community together and we depend on each other. Amen? We live in symbiosis. And so that's a word that Paul uses when he describes the beautiful bride of Christ, the church. Um, it's a community that faces challenges. It did in the first century. It does today. It faces all kinds of challenges. There is diversity. Um, there are differences that can easily pull the body asunder. But Paul also reminds them of what he sees. He sees the Spirit at work in their relationships. And, and, and he sees that they, because of their differences, they're actually able to, to thrive in ways that they, they could not thrive uh, if they were all just the same. And so when their individual personalities and their distinctives, their differences and their experiences are joined, they become greater than just the sum of their parts. And that is that really long Greek word I said a couple of minutes ago that I'm not going to try to say again. It's symbiosis. That's what it is. And we experience that symbiotic power of the Holy Spirit only when we connect together, right? If we're just podcast Christians, right? If we're just disciples on YouTube or Twitter, uh, we don't enjoy that community. We don't, we don't enjoy that symbiosis. So no surprise, whenever you get people together, um, who are trying to actually get below the surface and trying to do life together in a more significant way, there are going to be tensions, right? I mean, there are going to be challenges. 
Anytime you get, and, and I would go this far, I would say anytime you get more than one person, more you add you plus another person, if you guys are trying to get below the surface, there are going to be tensions. Marriage is a good example of that. Uh, father-son, father-daughter, parent relationships are an example of that. Um, all of us here at Preston Crest, look, we're a collection of over a thousand different individuals, different personalities, different preferences. Um, we may not have the same levels of difference here that the church in Ephesus had. And we don't, believe me, we don't. But we have our differences. We've got our diversity here. I mean, that church we've talked about several times. I don't need to go into it much again, but you had Jewish Christians, you had Gentile, you had huge differences between these two different groups. Uh, but here we've got, we've got folks that prefer, um, prefer the old and, and the trusted ways uh, that have been proved through the years, and we've got more adventurous people who like to try new things here in this church. We've got, of course, introverts, and we've got extroverts. And any time people get together and do real community together, you know, not just Facebook friends, they're real friends doing life together, uh, there are bound to be some challenges. None of that is surprising to you. None of that is like, wow, I didn't know that, Gordon. Um, and so Paul is going to talk about how we kind of walk through that together as a community and depend on the Spirit. And that's why Paul takes them back to the Spirit who gives us the symbiosis. Uh, the unity there in Ephesus, our unity here, it is not really all up to us. It is a gift from God. It is something He has given us. And the glue that holds us together, um, whether it's here at Preston Christ or the broader Christian community, the glue is the Spirit. And so I've continued to go back from this verse. I think it is the theme verse of Ephesians chapter 4. It is chapter 4, verse 3, where Paul says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Um, so I have a part to play. You have a part to play. Paul says, make every effort as far as it depends on you go all out to build these relationships to leave traces that encourage and, and build up and challenge and lead people to christ do everything you can but the holy spirit has a part to do as well the, the holy spirit gave us this this gift of unity uh, and this bond of peace so it, it's kind of mysterious we've talked about that um, so paul what he lays on them, I think, is as valid to us in the 21st century as it was to them in the first century, that we would make every effort to hold on to that spirit-given unity um, through the bond of peace. We are going to invest in the struggle. It's going to take some energy. We're willing to put that energy in, that sweat equity, so that we can live in symbiosis because we can be more together than we can be apart. Now, practically in Ephesians 4, we've heard Paul uh, walk us through some very positive things that we can do, some very positive things that build unity. He's talked about how the Spirit, uh, in the middle there of chapter 4, how the Spirit has given us different talents, um, has given us different abilities, and those help us encourage one another and serve one another. Um, Jesus Christ has equipped us, has equipped His people with everything so that we can live in unity. But more than that, not just so we can be a little happy family or a big happy family at Preston Christ, but so that through our relationships we can impact 
our mission field, right? Our community, our neighborhoods. Um, so there's, there's a big plan here. Uh, God is advancing the gospel through us. And that involves us encouraging each other. It also involves us taking the word out on the streets. So the gifts that we receive through the Spirit, they're, they're diverse. We talked about those a few weeks ago. There are lots and lots of different gifts uh, that Paul's going to list here. And, and in, in, in Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, there are lots and lots of gifts. There are administrative gifts. There are people who are good at planning and organizing things. Some of you guys have administrative gifts. The Holy Spirit gives teaching gifts. Some of you are gifted teachers. You're able to instruct others. There are gifts of caring, gifts of concern. And some of you are especially gifted to listen and to know when to give that hug and to know when to make that phone call and ask how someone is doing. Paul says... Jesus is the one who doles all of these different, this wide variety of gifts. He's the one who distributes them. And these gifts breathe life into the church. And they make the church of Jesus Christ a place where people grow into the image of Jesus. I think of it like a, a greenhouse, right? A greenhouse is where you take those tender plants and you put them in a place where they're going to get all of the nourishment they need, all of the care they need to grow larger and stronger and to eventually get outside the greenhouse and produce a crop. And I think of that as getting outside of the walls of the church and the property of the church so that we can bear fruit out in our neighborhoods and our community. Now, here's the thing. You guys know, I know, this doesn't happen overnight. This is, not, this is not something that's super quick. We aren't not naive enough to think that once somebody trusts in the name of Jesus, once somebody is, is baptized in the name of Jesus, that they instantaneously become a mature disciple. That's not how it worked in the book of Acts, and that's not how it works today. It is a growth process. And he talks about that. Uh, he says, I don't want you to remain toddlers. I don't want you to remain infants. He's going to use that language in chapter 4. We've seen that. Uh, he says there is a growth from immaturity to maturity. It's okay to be an immature Christian baby toddler, right, after you are converted. It's not okay to stay there. Um, we're expected to grow. And when it comes to this process of growth, he lets us know the Holy Spirit is driving the bus. This is his project. Um, we cooperate, we participate, we lean into the Spirit, um, we exercise gifts that the Holy Spirit has given us, um, we fix our eyes on Jesus, but ultimately the one driving the process is the Holy Spirit. So let's go now to chapter 3. I know we're supposed to be in chapter 4, but if you'll let me cheat a little bit, we're going to do a little bit in chapter 3 tonight. It is a prayer. By the way, I got in trouble one time. I can't remember if it was here or somebody else. I, I, I prayed a prayer, and I didn't say, in the name of Jesus, amen, at the end of the prayer. And somebody said, you know, you have to pray in the name of Jesus. And I'm thinking, okay, there are literally dozens of prayers recorded in the New Testament. None of them end in the name of Jesus, amen. All right? We are his people. We belong to Jesus. I trust that when we pray, we are praying in the name of Jesus, whether we say the magic words or not, okay? So I'm going to say those words a lot of times, but I may not always say those words. Paul doesn't say those words here in his beautiful prayer uh, for them, and it is a beautiful prayer. He loves this 
church in Ephesus. I love this church at Preston Crest. I would pray the same thing over us that he prays over them. He says, he says, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, by the way, just kind of underline that in your mind, unlimited resources. I like the sound of that. From his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ, again, so beautiful, then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Again, it is a prayer, and this is a prayer of growth. This is a prayer of roots going down. This is a prayer about Jesus over time making his home as I trust in him. It is a prayer about this process, this Holy Spirit process that no resources spared. God has unlimited resources to pour into this, your growth process, into the image of Jesus. And so Paul is going to now... Um, talk about our that's that's a more individual statement is he i'm praying for you that jesus now he's going to move into our kind of collective the growth of the church the body the symbiosis and he lets us know that that this is a cause worth fighting for okay anything worth fighting for there's a cost right anything that really matters you're going to have to pay something for that and paul wants us to know it's worth it the building up of the community, doing life together. Um, yeah, we're different. Yeah, there are going to be some, some rubs now and again uh, between different groups or different people in, in, in the church. And he says, it's worth it. It's worth it. Stick with it. Uh, and specifically, he's going to talk about what you can do, what I can do to make sure we are doing our part to, remember that phrase, to make every effort. So what is it that we can be doing um, and not doing to do our part. So now let's go to the last words in Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only... This is the filter. Only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Think about the traces you're leaving. Think about the touch you're leaving. Only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, all rage, all anger, throw it out, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. 
Everything in that text centers around that phrase, building others up. That's the filter. That's what I'm working for in my relationship with you guys, in our relationships with one another. That's the filter for life in Christian community, for a life that really is symbiosis, that really is mutual dependence, is mutual edification, and um, it's making sure that the traces we leave in our contact, the words that we say, that all of that is pointing to Jesus, all of that is building people up in Christ, and clearly we individually have certain responsibilities, all right? Um, We have important roles to play in this. Paul is talking to us. Uh, We speak publicly in front of groups. It may be a group of three or four. Um, We speak privately, and we do that to build our sisters and brothers up. Amen? That's what we do. Um, And and I have to think about myself. I'm I'm working on this this week, and I'm thinking, oh, boy. (laughs) I can be pretty good at sarcasm sometimes. I don't think sarcasm ever builds up. It can be funny. It can get a laugh, you know. Um, I don't know that sarcasm ever builds. I I know that gossip, right, that never builds anybody up. That doesn't do good. And so we want our words to be, verse 29, for the benefit of those who listen. For the benefit of those who listen. And Paul really puts this into some perspective. Um, He reminds us that when we fail at this, when we fail to seek to build others up and to use our words to build others up, when we move from cooperation to competition, when we move from symbiosis to selfishness, then, verse 30, we grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, just because you can't see the Holy Spirit, He's a spirit, okay? He's not something tangible that you can hold on to, that you can see. Just because you can't see the Holy Spirit doesn't mean He's not a person. We talked about this on Sunday mornings a while back. He's a person. Just like the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit has emotions, Paul says you can break the Holy Spirit's heart. You can cause the Holy Spirit to mourn, to be grieved. And that really gets my attention. I don't know about you. It gets my attention that there are things that I can say or do and things that I have said and have done that can break the Spirit's heart, that can cause Him to mourn. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. And really, it makes sense since we've already seen over and over again just in chapter 4, really the whole New Testament, but just in chapter 4, we've seen over and over and over again that unity is the Spirit's project. Symbiosis is what He does. The bond of peace is something He gives. The unity of the Spirit is something that we enjoy. So it makes sense, doesn't it, that when... When I do things that tear Christians down, when I do things that cause discord in the body, in the community, then I am making a mess of that unity that He has given. So it makes sense, stands to reason, that that grieves Him, that that hurts Him. When you take something beautiful that He did and you just kind of mess it up, yeah, 
That stings, that hurts. And that's why, verse 31, those all statements. We are to get rid of all bitterness. We are to get rid of all rage, all anger, all brawling, all slander, every form of of malice. And I read that and I think, you know what, I think what he's saying is I can't hold on, I can't hold on to the love of Jesus Christ and hold on to those things at the same time. Those are poisonous spiritual attitudes. They are mutually exclusive. That's not symbiosis. That's injecting poison into the organism, all of that stuff, right? But I love the last word in chapter 4. It's a positive word. And it's a word that reminds us we're not on our own. Verse 32. Paul says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Isn't that good? (laughs) Don't you love that? I mean, because it gets back to the truth, the fundamental truth that we have been given everything that we need to live in community with each other. We lack nothing. We have symbiosis. The Spirit has given us that. Yes, we have been called um, to be different. Yes, we have been called to something great. Changing the world is pretty, wow, it's pretty heady stuff, but we've been given everything we need and more. We've got all the supplies that we need here. And we live differently. This is what this verse reminds us. We live differently. How about different from everything that we see out there in society and culture that we run into? We live differently because we do not live purely out of our own paltry resources, right? I mean, out of our own selfishness, out of our own sin, out of our own shame. Paul reminds us we live in and from the wealth that we have received in Christ, right? Isn't that what he says? I mean, he says, be kind and be compassionate. And you may be thinking, oh, that's so hard. I can't do that. And he says, yes, you can, because you've already received all of that in great abundance from Jesus Christ. I mean, he's just, God has just shoveled kindness and compassion. Oh, you're covered in it. So you get to live out of that. It's not based on your own paltry spiritual resources. You live out of the abundance you've received in Christ. And so we can grow in our individual Christian walks, but more than that, we can grow in connection with each other because our growth is not limited by us. The Spirit is involved in this. The Spirit of God is involved in this. And now, aha! Now we're getting back to that phrase I told you to mentally underline in chapter 3, verse 16. Now we're getting back to that prayer of Paul about the unlimited 
resources that we have in Christ Jesus. There's a story, and I believe this is a true story, a story about an old man who lived as a slave, 1800s, lived as a slave in the deep south. That was all he knew from the time he was born until he got into his, his golden years, if you will. And one day his master passed away. Now, it may seem hard to believe. We like to paint things as this way or that way, the villains and the heroes. It may be hard to believe. But the story goes that this slave loved his master very, very much. That what may have started out as obligation turned into a service that was willingly and joyfully rendered over the years. And when his master died, he was overcome with grief. Now, as the affairs of the estate were being resolved, the lawyer contacted this old slave to let him know that he had been included in the master's will. For starters, and this happened a lot in those days, really did. For starters, the master had explicitly made provision for that slave to be freed upon his death. He would be free. Also, the master had made provisions in his will that this old man would receive $50,000 from the estate. That sounds like a lot today, but that was an absolute fortune back in those days. $50,000. And so this old man was duly notified by the attorney of his new wealth, of his new freedom. He was informed that the, that amount had already been deposited into an account bearing his name in the local bank. Weeks went by, and the bank communicated to the lawyer. The bank got back in touch with the lawyer and said, okay, the guy has not come to collect any of the money. He hasn't even darkened the door of the bank. So the banker... The banker had called on the old man and said, look, it's, it's real. You have $50,000 available to you. It's yours. This fortune is yours. And the old man really had no, just no concept of the implications of that inheritance. No, no, no concept of the wealth that was his. He, uh, he, he humbly asked the banker, this is what he asked. He said, Sir, might I have 50 cents to buy a sack of cornmeal? Might I have 50 cents to buy a sack of cornmeal? Now, the truth was that he had enough money to buy all the cornmeal in Alabama. He just found it impossible to grab onto that reality that he was rich 
And without a doubt, <laughs> we know this. The Lord has big expectations, right? He, he, he calls you to something great. Big expectations for you as an individual follower. Bigger expectations for this collective, this organism, this community of believers here at Preston Christ. And I think this is a good reminder of the story. When we feel overwhelmed by the largeness of his hopes and his dreams, perhaps expectations for us, we need to be reminded, don't we, of this good fortune. I'm not sure that's the right phrase, but it works. Good fortune. That we're not doing this out of our own poverty. We're not doing this out of our own scarcity any longer. That now we live from the wealth of the inheritance we've received in Jesus Christ. And I suppose, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons. Maybe you'd agree that, that we celebrate the Lord's Supper every week. That Jesus thought that was important for us to stop down and break the bread. Share the cup together. Um, Jesus, I think, knew that we would... We would benefit from this weekly reminder, a visual, you know, you hold the elements in your hands, and we break those, to, we share them together, that this tactile, visual reminder of the vast fortune that we possess in Jesus Christ. Our master passed away and left us a fortune, rose again but that that reminder would be important to us. And I, I think it is because it interrupts, doesn't it? Whatever we've been going through during the week, and we have good weeks and we have bad weeks, right? I mean, we do. And it can interrupt those tests and those trials, and it can almost be seen as communion. It can almost be seen as a bank statement arriving, reminding us, Unlimited resources are available to you. Live out of this wealth. Live out of this abundance. And also, I think it points forward to the day of our redemption. In verse 30, Paul says, and we've got to touch on this at least before we finish this series, Paul says that we have been sealed by the Spirit. And Paul loves that. He'll, he'll use that sealed by the Spirit. He'll use that over and over again in his writings. A seal had a lot of, a lot of uses in the ancient world. One was to mark uh, ownership on something. You know, this belongs to me. I've got my seal on it. Um, it could be used to, get, to, to show that you had authority. You were traveling with the king's seal on a letter. Uh, the orders you had been issued were sanctioned by the monarch, by the authority, right? I mean, the, the seal, it had a lot of meaning and a lot of richness, and, and that's probably why Paul uses this word, sphragus. doesn't sound very sexy, does it? But that's the word for seal, sphragus. And it reminds us, the seal, of the guarantee that we have for what is to come. And I like that. I find that very helpful when I'm not having a great week. I find that very helpful when a series of things have not gone the way I had hoped they would have gone. I find it very helpful to be reminded of what is to come. Reminded that we have already seen the last chapter of the book. 
We know what is in store for us. It's not just pie in the sky. It is sealed. Okay, that means it is guaranteed for us. And that is our redemption. First Corinthians chapter, or Second Corinthians rather, chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. Just soak this in because this, this is for you, these words. Paul says, 2 Corinthians 1, 21, 22, he says, It is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. There's a lot of stuff that's going to try to shake you. A lot of stuff that's going to get you down, right? And he says, it's God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. He set his sphragus, he set his seal of ownership on us. In other words, you belong to him. You're his. And he is proud enough of that to put his seal on you. He wants to make sure everybody understands, especially the enemy, you belong to him. So it is God who makes us, who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. He set his seal of ownership on us. And he put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. For me, Paul would write to the Philippians, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. That's why Paul, I'm torn. God's got work for me to do here, but I can't wait to get home to be with God. I love that tension. And that's good news, right? I mean, we live in the wealth of his grace, in the wealth and generosity of his love. We, as Paul talked about there at the end of chapter 4, in the riches of his compassion. And we have this seal, we have this guarantee that comes from God himself that we haven't received everything yet. We've received a lot. But there is a day of redemption. There is an inheritance yet to come. And I think that's a good place for us to finish our series. So why don't we just bow our heads tonight. We'll finish with a prayer before we sing. Lord, you have anointed us. You have marked us with your ownership seal. And you have guaranteed our future by giving us your Holy Spirit. We ask that you would help us to live out the high calling you have for us as your children in this fallen world. That we would live that out by the riches of your grace and strength, by your unlimited resources. We would live that calling out. And we pray that you will bless this church, this congregation, this body community here at Preston Crest. Strengthen the bonds of our unity here. And may we be very intentional, very deliberate with the traces we leave behind.
as we interact with each other and build each other up. The gospel is good news, and it certainly is good news that we no longer live as slaves. We no longer live, as your servant Paul will say in Romans 8, with a spirit of slavery. But now, because we have been adopted into your family, we live with a spirit of sonship. We live in that security. And that pulls us through. We pray all this in the name of our older brother, of our Lord, of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's be standing. Let's worship together.